welcome back. I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. We're talking once again with John Eddy today as a continuation of our discussion on mentoring and retention of executive staff. When we're talking about retention and some of the Were feedback... Once or twice. Yes, maybe. When we talk to people about why they like the company giving them a mentoring mm. program, I think the feedback that I heard, and John, you might have heard the same or different, is that, look, we've got a system where, you know, I do a good job and I can be successful in my career. That's one. There might be a bonus system that looks after when I go beyond. But they all related to my performance of what I'm bringing for the company. Mm. The mentoring is an investment in me personally. Yes, eventually it translates in me being a better leader and therefore serve the company better. But this is a demonstration, a tangible evidence that they care about me personally and Mm. they're paying money to have me, money, time, whatever you want, investment in me personally to grow. I think that's uh, probably the biggest reason why people remain in organisations. If you have that mentoring relationship and and people feel that they're being invested in Mm. and supported, they're more likely to read stay with the organisation. And valued. There's a high degree of frustration, I think, in some organisations where people don't fully understand where they fit in, they don't understand their job fully, they're not supported by the organisation, and therefore you wonder why they leave. If you if you analyse you know, turnover rates, why do people exit organisations? Mm. Often it's because no one's taking any interest in this lack of engagement of the person, they lack of understanding how their job fits into the organisation. A mentor can help that, have someone to go to. We used to always do an exit, exit interview. Yes. Exit mm. interview. With the, the and, after and the event. After <laughs> yeah, yeah, then it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why can we fix this too before? late? Just in terms then of the exit interview, when... Can organisations identify that they've got an opportunity to provide mentors? Mm. Look, I, I think it comes right back to the when you recruit people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that costly to have a mentoring program. It's a commitment you're making for people development. Rather than sending them on a three-day training program, which costs a lot of money, and you wonder about the you know the return on the investment they're mm-hmm. getting. Mm-hmm. A mentoring program, I think, offers far more advantages for a person to learn and come up to speed quickly rather than attending a program which is theoretical. And learning from a mentor, the theory you can put into practice pretty well straight away. Most learning is on the job. It's not going to learn in a training, in a classroom training. Yeah. So if you have a program at the at the beginning of the recruitment cycle and the onboarding cycle, people are going to come and they're going to join you. They'll hear about your program. Yes. And it's not that costly to set up a mentoring program. I, I for the companies have done it. They're, they're the successful companies. Mm. So I would envisage setting up a program at the beginning of the employment cycle, and you get a mentor when you join the company. Sometimes we used to call it the buddy system. Yes. You'd be given a buddy, someone to help yes. you through those first yeah. couple of weeks of how do I work out this organisation, all the acronyms that we have yeah. I don't understand these things how do, yeah. I, how do I navigate the organisation yeah. and that's that was the buddy system and then it developed into the mentoring system yeah. do you remember getting the feedback when people came new to the organisation mm. we said oh in your old organisation what would you have done differently mm. and they they mentioned why they like mentoring and they said in the other organisation they did everything to give us tools to figure out where we at and how we perceived mm. for example when they do the 360 degree 
type of measurement and it tells how we perceived in our style or whatever but mentoring in in a company where it provides mentoring it's helping us build on those perceptions that we're doing really well at but also helping us work on the things that we perceived not so good with and we want to be better at so it's not just giving us the data to say what we're good at and what we need to do it's here helping us achieve that and bridge that gap yeah and in particular with the generation what x and y we call them these days <laughs> they they're going to have probably you know maybe eight or ten jobs in their career whereas in the early days people might have stayed 20 30 40 years with an organization it's not going to happen anymore so you need to make sure that you help these people manage their career or they will leave you and they will go somewhere else loyalty is pretty pretty small these days i'm fascinated by the change in how we perceive a career and a career path mm-hmm. and and if you were advising someone now who was at the beginning of their career so whether they've come out of university or straight from school or they've done odd jobs and decided this is what they want to do now they want they've picked an organization for all sorts of reasons and we don't really know why Mm. they've picked the organization when they first come to us what are you expecting how long are you expecting them to stay and do you expect them to come back the investment in them is such that you decide that you want them to stay. You've, you've gone through the selection process, you've decided that these are the people that, that you want. And, you know, Fuliana and I went through massive graduate recruitment campaigns in our early days. So we whittled down from 1,200 applications, we'd whittled it down to 30 that we'd interview, 10 that we'd take on. Mm. How could we possibly know that we were getting the right ones? But we had these 10 people. Mm. We would look at it and say we would like them to stay with us for the next 40 years Mm. till they retire. What can we do to ensure that that happens? Or should we be thinking that way? That's a a tough question because I think younger people today seem to have a different view about what I might have looked at when I was starting my career and expect more sooner than later and very impatient to get to the next level. Promotion is important to them. Money is important to them. Loyalty is there so long as their needs are being met. Once their needs are not met... It comes back to what you said earlier about knowing what their needs are, meeting their needs and recognising that what they do is of value to the organisation. The period of time in an organisation will vary, but if you're looking at both sides, as long as the person continues to learn and grow and get rewarded through promotion and pay and etc., and as long as the organisation is getting that value out of the person. But there will come a time where they, the grass looks greener elsewhere or they feel that that other company will give them something that this company doesn't. Mm. And therefore, you should always make them comfortable leaving, particularly your best people, mm. with the hope that they will come back at a different level and stage of their career to contribute with their new learning and new experience they, they bring with them the second time round or third time round. Yeah. Okay, so, so when they come back and they're coming back and they're in their mid-40s to 50s mm-hmm. and you're looking at them coming back at the much higher level in the organisation, are you then expecting them to stay till they retire? I think when they get to that, if they're in that age bracket, um, they probably are expecting that they wouldn't want to move again. But organisations today are very fluid. Mm. People come and go and circumstances beyond their control sometimes creates a situation where they lose their job. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a topsy-turvy world we're living in in the business world today. And 
there's no guarantees about longevity no. in any company. What's the role of mentoring then in that situation? It comes back, I think, to this you know, the whole employment value proposition. What are you offering people to come and work for you? And I, I think often we say we offer this, or a promise, mm. and we do the opposite. So it, there's a disconnect. And many organisations say all these things, but actually don't deliver on them. People are not stupid. They see through this very quickly, and they walk. And the organisation gets a reputation. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, turnover, I don't know what the average turnover in Australian companies today, but I would guess it's probably around 20%, maybe 25%. In Asia, it's running probably 30 to 35%. So attrition in most of the Asian countries, is it's a churn. It's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's not unique. It's, it's, it's across the board. And a lot of it is younger people who are moving fairly quickly because they were promised something and they never got it, so they'll move somewhere else. And there's no way of addressing the fact that they're not getting what they promised. Yeah, mentoring will not solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. It certainly helps you retain talent, that's for sure. But you better be delivering on what you promise people. If you don't, if you no don't deliver, yeah. people will see through you very quickly. And frustration comes in, demotivation, lack of engagement. Engagements in Australia... And in most countries is pretty low. People turn up for work but they're engaged. No, there's this wonderful Yes Minister episode <clears throat> where the local council gets into trouble because they're not submitting their blue forms mm. and nobody knows what they're for but mm. it's just that they're not submitting them. Yeah. yeah, I think the other point about mentoring, what it can do, apart from retention of people, I mean of course we want to retain the talent. It's keeping this knowledge within the organisation. Mm. I think what's happening with this yeah. churn over, of this churn of people, there's all this knowledge walking out the door and a lot of people not being replaced. So all this information is gone, it's a vacuum. And I know of a couple of organisations where this has happened, where people don't have any history anymore about the organisation, how we why we do these things, how we do these things, because mm. the brain drain, people have gone. Mm. gone. Mm. So this retaining people in the organisation, this this knowledge, which is important, doesn't seem to be important to some organisations, they don't seem to care, that will move these people out for whatever reason, where I think mentoring, if you if you have a proper mentoring program, you can retain the knowledge and pass it on to somebody else and keep these people. But, you know, the, the world we live in today is, the business world, is, is a tough environment. It is a tough environment, but it, I think that perhaps by not engaging people, mm. by not maintaining some business knowledge within a, a business itself that you're just making it harder mm. because you you bring in new people all the time they reinvent they do they make mistakes they make mistakes that were fixed last time mm. we did this process mm. Because that knowledge is not being passed on or not being kept within the organisation. We can't battle the way that society is moving. What can we do within an organisation apart from mentoring to retain that knowledge Mm. in the organisation, apart from quality systems? I think de- delivering on, on what people expect of you, mm. what you what you say you stand for and what you're going to deliver on. So if you say you pay competitive salaries, you better pay competitive salaries. If you're going to have opportunities for development, you better offer people opportunities for development. So, so is it about measuring them? Because I know <clears throat> in the past... Organisations were big on measuring that they were delivering what they promised, whether it was to their people or or to their shareholders. And certainly to the shareholders, that still happens. Mm. But perhaps we've lost the ability, with the changes in in HR, to measure outcomes. Yeah, look, the return on investment of, for example, running leadership training programs, I think is sometimes a complete waste of money. Tick a box approach. We put 3,000 people through a leadership program. Big deal. What's the return? What's the changes we should should be getting for that investment? Mm. 
Or could we do do that differently through a mentoring program, for example? Mm. I think there are vested interests in organisations and in, in HR who want to continue running the same old programs who actually don't add any value because mm. they, they're happy. They've been judged. They've run 3,000 programs or 3,000 people have gone through the program. And tick a box. Yes, I had a wonderful experience. For many years, I was their consultant for the training course on negotiation skills. And for the last three years of when they had me in six times a year to run negotiation skills courses, they weren't doing any negotiation at all. Everything was done. The contracts were already signed, Mm. but they still had a a mandate to get through this number of people, had to Mm. do this training course to move up the next level. So I ran the courses. And I hope that the people who went to the courses used their negotiation skills somewhere else. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in relation to your question about do do they still measure, I believe organisations do still measure. Staff satisfaction surveys get done. How engaged are the employees? I think the measurement is only, it's one aspect, it's acting on that measurement, mm. is actually reading exactly what would make an, a person join the organisation, what would make them come back to an organisation, what would they make them live mm. and breathe what the organisation values are and practice them. And I I think sometimes they, again, it's a bit superficial in that you get all that information and you see a, a movement and it's really more by accident than design and not enough time and effort is spent in addressing those issues. Usually it's relating to cost. It's not a fair thing to say, it's a, I, I haven't got the money or resources to do this because it will translate to the bottom line. Mm. If your turnover is high, mm. then that costs you a lot of money. And yes, we know people are more transient, they will move around a lot more and it's not job for lives by mm. the individual or the company. But if you, know, you get the movement every six months of the person or that position, the impact is extremely costly. So you need to spend the, the money and time in addressing things that will be relevant to the bottom line and not waste them on things like you just gave in the example, mm. negotiation skills and nobody negotiates anything. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we've talked fairly broadly about big organisations. How does it work for small owner-operators or up to what we would still class as the small to medium size, which the government classifies as under 50 employees? I must admit I haven't had a lot of experience with small organisations in my career. But I would expect the principles are similar if you're having a mentoring program. And that's probably the occasion where they're going to use external rather than internal. But there might still be the opportunity for internal. and Maybe that's something they need to identify. Mm. Well, my recent experience with that only over the last few years is with a small to medium. And you're both right. Firstly, it's even more important because in a big organisation, even if you don't have a formal program... People turn to each other because there's lots of people, lots of divisions, so you can seek someone outside your own area. In a smaller organisation, what I find is more of the body system is Mm. teaching each other, coaching each other, even in technical aspects as well as Mm. the general management aspects. And people are getting a lot of value out of that because they see themselves growing by teaching someone else. Mm. So internally... Yes, they do invest in external as well, and again, that is limited, limited in you know cost. But if you are a medium-sized organisation, if you don't treat those people right, it costs you even more when somebody leaves. Yeah, true. So that's why there is a bigger focus on it, even though it's not a as sophisticated a program, but absolutely the heart of the program is there. 
you know, I'm a big believer in mentoring and coaching. I think it adds significant value to the individual and the organisation if it's done properly. And that's a structured type program that's formal and you put some money behind it and invest in people. And people will rise to the occasion and they will stay with the organisation if they see benefits coming from the program, that their career is growing, they're developing, and uh, the organisation wins and the employee wins at the end of the day. And that's what it's all about. We want a win-win situation. And the companies have done this, uh, they're successful. The companies who don't do it. Well, we thank you, John, for joining us today on your brief sojourn in Sydney from Taiwan. If any of you are interested in getting in contact with John, please drop us a line via the website and we will pass on your details to him. That's it for this session. I'm Kim Bailey. She's Fuliana Osborne. We've had with us today John Eddy. This is Inside Exec.